One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. Today is with David Milia. He's the president and CEO and founder of a, a, a new, well, not that new, I suppose, but a, a new approach, let's say, uh, of an organization, of a company called Kajenga. And it's really about the idea of creating and constructing and building. And he's going to unpack that for us. We talk about entrepreneurship and, and some of those definitions. We talk about education and the school system and, and, and about a new and a new model for learning and how and why it's so important that students need to be engaged. We talk a little bit about some of the characteristics of what might make up a great uh, or a brilliant uh, entrepreneur and, and how we've got to kind of turn that thinking on, on its head and, and, and about, about education and how it needs to be more relational and, and why a teacher needs to be a little bit more of a facilitator and, and look less at the whole process from a top-down perspective, but maybe bottom-up. But uh, what's really interesting is uh, there's, there's a lot going on in this conversation. I think you're going to take uh, away a fair bit, and I think it's going to raise a whole lot more questions, uh, a whole lot of more questions about uh, and uh, English is my first language, just so you know. But uh, it's going to raise questions about what's next. Where where are we heading with uh, digital platforms and learning and so on? So um, please stay tuned. Uh, DavidPeckLive.com for more podcasts. You can uh, get access to my new book, Real Change is Incremental, and find out a little bit more about what I do uh, when I'm hired as a professional speaker for events. Uh, David Milia is about to join us. Uh, stay tuned. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest today. I'm excited about uh, what's about to happen. Uh, I think we've got a really cool, interesting, fun, engaging conversation ahead of us. David Milia is here with us today. David, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, David. It's great to be here. He's the president and CEO of Kajenga Incorporated. I hope I already have everyone's attention. It's uh, you know what I'm going to let David. Why don't you tell us what it is? You're 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 a hard guy in a sense to 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 nail down because you you've got a little bit uh, of everything going on it seems to me in your life tell, tell, yeah tell, it's true yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. and and in Kajenga, i mean it's swahili for create construct and build hmm. we work you know specifically in the architectural space helping influence and educate architects on design but it's also ka-ching ka-ching right it's from my generation 
the cash register of how, how you make money with social social media and how do you what's the last three feet and everybody's trying to figure out mm. how do you monetize your network and that's really what's important about where things are headed so that Kajanga is all about monetizing the last three feet of social media and it's all about construction and design and, and innovation and architecture and and from what what little I know is it's really about education, isn't it? I mean, I mean, obviously you're an entrepreneur. You've got in this to 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 create a business, to to drive you know sales, et cetera, et cetera. But isn't this isn't there some underlying sort of um, pedagogy to all of this? Yeah, I mean, it all the journey started way back. I mean, my father was an educator. Uh, in the 80s, he wrote his thesis on violence in the school system. Mm. You can imagine, you know, guns and 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 fighting and all that. And mm-hmm. people thought he was a bit bit off. But really, what the root of what he was saying is, you need to engage. Mm-hmm. And the way you engage is through project-based learning, which is a real big buzz now. If you look at any of the schools, or if you look at what where Gates is going with his education, or any of the you know the innovative thinkers in education, it's all about project-based learning. So, the root of Kajenga is. We have projects that we showcase and we tell stories that ultimately influence and educate people and shift their thinking. It's all about how do you influence and educate somebody? Well, you can only influence them and educate them if you create context and relevance. And really what we're trying to do is use this platform. So, yes, it's rooted in pedagogy. Um, And I think you know this, David. I spent many years as a senior executive in e-learning. Uh, I wrote an entrepreneurial curriculum. I taught, you know, at the university level in terms of strategy, and really, it was all about just creating a new model mm. for learning that's mm-hmm. based on a project and a journey. So, what do you? So, what do you mean by a journey? So, do you mean like kind of a narrative? Do you mean like sort of telling a so so telling a kind of a new story or something? You know, you talk. I love the way you talk about context and relevance. That's so great. I mean, because it has so many applications. So so if I'm an architect or if I'm an engineer or if I'm a I don't know a financial advisor or a teacher, you through Kajenga you want to create, uh, or sorry through your philosophy maybe it's a better place to start, David. You want to create a context that that's going to be meaningful for me, right? Philosophically, yeah. As a learner you go through a journey. So if you take this system we have, which we'll get into the fact that I think it's broken. I think the school mm-hmm. system's broken. Yeah, it but yeah, it mar- marginalizes us. It, it, it forces us to be linear thinkers when mm-hmm. in reality what we want to do is we want to go and explore mm-hmm. and we want to go on that's a good. journey. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Right. And it's kind of like as you open the door, new things, you know, uh, up here, it's kind of like virtual reality, which will ultimately be the, the whole you know, game-changing kind of, pardon the pun, element of how education is going to shift. So when you go on a journey, it's all about being able to create your own learning experience, right, and create context and relevance because it's what you want to learn, it's how you want to learn, and it's projects and things that you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. So if you can combine those, which we haven't been able to do in the education system, so that it becomes very personalized and it's your journey and it's it's in context of what you really want to learn and need to learn or are excited about learning. T- tell me, tell me about sort of some of, some of the thinking underneath this, you know, clearly it's, it's been a part of your life for years. Your father's writing a thesis on it. You kind of must, you must've grown up in sort of a, in, in an environment where you were talking about these things, you know, in a, if it wasn't explicit, it was certainly, I would imagine implied. How is the system broken? I mean, I have an eight and 10 year old and, 
and I kind of get that sense as to why I think it's broken. I mean, the structures, you know, you got to, you know, I guess the question to you, David, is do you want your kids to draw within the lines or to color within the lines? Well, there's, there's two, there's a lot of things I could say about that. But the one thing, the, the model that I would give you is that strategy, structure follows strategy in business, right? So you first determine the strategy, then you build the structure, in education, structure drives the strategy. And it's, so it's impossible in that model for anybody, any learner, to come in if they already have to fit into a structure. And that's what education for years, and as you know, I took a sabbatical for a year and went to work for a not-for-profit in education, and the learning I had was that it will never change. Mm. Education will not change. And I know if there's educators on the, on the phone line, they would just cringe when I say that. What I'm talking about is I'm talking about macro change, not micro change. And we need a macro change, right? And and so what I'm talking about here is that we try and and create the structure for a student where a strategy, a different strategy is needed. And I'm one of the lucky ones, I'll be honest. So you probably can tell that I can shift in multiple directions. And, you know, I probably didn't succeed the way I could at school. And thank God I had the parents I had because... I found out later that I had some some gifted abilities, which, you know, if if anybody wants to go down the path of the gifted and the and, and the the challenged, it's all about <clears throat> very highly developed or underdeveloped characteristics. Well, t- what what the school system does with that is they marginalize that. They, you know, and I don't mean to be rude here, but you know, it's tension, it's labeled t- tension deficit or mm-hmm. whatever it is. There, but those often those kids are highly gifted. Sure. Yeah. And so. The system's broken because they don't know how to handle that. And the reason is because it's structured and it's linear. It's not a nonlinear path. And that's really project-based learning that takes you through this journey that allows the learner to create building blocks around their story that, that means something to them. So, so it's a little more, well, it's a, it's, sorry, it's a lot more relational. Relational, nonlinear. Do, do you want? Yeah. Do you want? Do you want classrooms? Uh, do you want kids sitting on the floor in a circle, and the teachers a part of that circle? I mean, I think by the sounds of it, you're talking a little bit about. I mean, if structure is informing, you know, our pedagogy and so on, and I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, what are those sort of ideological kind of inklings and 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 underpinnings that are going to just like as you say, we need this macro shift, this macro change to turn it upside down to say this is broken. Now, do we, now what do we do? Well, the simple answer is, do I want kids around a circle? I, my simple response to that is, I don't care. If the circle's <laughs> going to help them, <laughs> if the circle's going to help them learn, great. Yeah. But I do. When you said, "Do you see it a circle?" I would say, "I don't care." But when you say, "Do you see this teacher in the middle?" I would say, "I see this teacher as facilitator, not teacher as mm. as a hierarchical being that's talking down." With access to media, kids are going to out think the teachers very, very, very soon. They're going to be able to process information and find resources and tools that they can quickly mobilize to help them learn that have nothing to do with what the teacher's teaching. In fact, I've seen evidence of that, where they actually go online and find models to help them do fractions and help them do Excel spreadsheets and do things that teachers aren't even thinking of, of doing. So so the key is is that how do we harness that intellectual capital of mm. what I call the you know the youth movement that that it's going to be about guiding 
mm-hmm. not about teaching. It's going to be about facilitating, not about, you know, telling. It's going to be about guiding the path, not, you know, policing the path. And obviously there has to be control and moderate, moder- you know, a moderator in that process. Mm-hmm. But teacher as moderator and, and understanding what fits with the curriculum guidelines is going to be where education, I believe, needs to go. And that's really entrepreneurship. You know, if you were to find an alignment between education and entrepreneurship, then that's where the two cross, in my mind. Don't you, I mean, it doesn't, so you want this macro change. Doesn't it have to be kind of a grassroots thing as well? Doesn't it, there have to be some bottom-up stuff going on? Uh, I guess, I mean, isn't that what entrepreneurship really is? That grassroots kind of thinking that's going to say, okay, we're, we're going to harness this, in, as you say, this intellectual capital of youth. Because my guess is a lot of teachers actually would be afraid of that. They will until they understand that it's not their job to teach. It's their job to facilitate. Right. It's their job to find and guide the process, not be the process, right? I think teachers take on quite a heavy weight, and they're probably some of the hardest working people I've ever met, right, because they work at night and they mark and they're, they're on, you know, 12, 18 hours a day. But what – and I witnessed it. I mean, that was mm. what my father did. Mm. But, you know, and, and he was teaching – I mean, part of my thinking is framed by the fact that he taught grade 7, 8, and 9 in one classroom. Wow. And he did that. And he taught children with, with you know – learning disabilities and attitude issues, right? So he was in the special needs, the, the hard to handle, and, you know, highly gifted. Right. That was his sort and, and it was across three grade levels. So what I watched, what he did was he became facilitator in that journey. And he didn't really care whether students were talking or writing about things that may or may not be appropriate. And I'll just I'll lay that out that way. Hmm. He didn't care about the subject matter. Um, he cared about the fact that they were writing something, mm. right? And he guided that process, and he found alignments of, of ways in which he could he could motivate these students to, to to engage in a process of writing, and that really framed my thinking. And he did it for 10 years, right? This used to be the class that teachers would rotate once a year, and then he got into it and thought, you know what, I want to do this, and mm-hmm. became a pioneer in that whole theory of multiple path learning and project based David yeah. are you are you are you talking a little bit more here about the just kind of the idea of mentoring almost the uh, so facilitator you know uh, maybe in the middle but you better be kind of engaging uh, you better be listening <laughs> you know not just talking down to your students I mean I love the way classrooms are set up right they're tiered typically in a university setting anyway, to lead all the, the, the lines of sight and are, are all towards the person at the front. They're the expert. I mean, we're set up architecturally. This should resonate with you. In, in, you know, what, what are the implications of that, right? So, so I mean, not, not a mentorship. The guy at the front or the woman at the front, are the, they're the experts. Jeez, I better, I better listen, right? And so well, how does that set us up in a, I don't know, anti-relational sort of way to, to, to lose, if, if, if I can use that kind of language. Well, mentor talks about, it talks to the fact that the person is an expert in their field, right? So if, if there's mentorship or apprenticeship, it's learning from the master, right? So I, I'm not sure that fits here, David, just mm-hmm. because if I'm mentoring someone on entrepreneurship, I better know my thing about entrepreneurship. Yep. If I'm mentoring some about, you know, uh, being a, a uh, you know, a, a seamstress. I better sure. be a master seamstress. Sure. So, so what I see here is that it's it's more facilitator and guide, 
and and someone who will actually fuel the I see it more as a coach than a mentor. Mm-hmm. So you're coaching people to find their 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 stride, to to play to their strengths, to to find their passion. Sure. Yep. And and if it can be project based, and and it's funny because the root of project based learning is entrepreneurship. Mm. Right. It's the truest example of where someone goes in a project. They want to start a business. They typically want to start a business that they love or they're interested in or they have a really high level of motivation to do that project. Um, and that's in the school system now, right? Project-based learning for entrepreneurship is becoming part of what some of the curriculum is becoming. Mm. So that's the, the best example of how it started. And it's really interesting because a lot of entrepreneurs are considered to be outcasts or different or uh, somewhat unique, if you will, in their makeup. So they are gravitating to entrepreneurship because it provides them the freedom to be the master of their own destiny. And you and I talked about this in a previous conversation. I don't know if we want to go there, but the the characteristics that make up an entrepreneur, I think, are absolutely wrong. Hmm. Those characteristics are only the characteristics of someone who can actually persevere and is highly motivated. Those entrepreneurs are the ones that had the the gumption to actually go there, to right. go where someone wouldn't for fear or lack of motivation. So, you know, backing up, I don't see it as a mentorship. I see it as a facilitator. I see them fueling the content. When we talk about user-generated content, we talk about student-driven objectives, you know, the model of parent, teacher, adult. What I'm talking about here fundamentally is a teacher getting into an adult relationship with a, a grade one student. Instead of being the parent mm-hmm. talking down to talking the child, to the kids, yeah. bring the equality of the relationship and understand very quickly as children move to 10 and 12 and 14 and 18 that they may surpass you in their capacity because of access to information, you know, you know, God-given aptitude, but that we haven't got there yet. There's no teachers that would think that a student could outperform them. So, 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 David, I've been teaching in a postgraduate environment for close to 10 years now, and I would say that these are, you know, young, obviously younger students, uh, younger, certainly younger than me, way more savvy. Uh, digital. I am the digital uh, vig- village idiot, with, with, you know, if you put me side by side most of these. But they, you know, and I try to take this kind of, I would say, project-based approach, uh, appreciative inquiry, interactive. I try to break down those walls. And I would, I mean, okay, I can't put a number on it right now, but I'm going to go 60% of the room actually pushes back. And I wonder to For what sure. degree that's just a, a symptom of a far greater problem, right? That, and that back to your point, I think, which is incredibly insightful, we need this shakeup. We need a macro change. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, Gates, Bill Gates sees this. He's invested a lot of money uh, in um, inner School, uh, inner city schools, and, and, the, and the theory behind it is is that um, any child given any kind of um, path to success will succeed, and and he's just margin he's marginalizing education to the point where it's open and, and accessible to everyone. That's his vision, yep. and that the innovators will rise to the top no matter what their their status or what family they're born into. 
And so I'm not, you, you said pushback. I think what's happening here, that there's, the thing I don't like about the, the, the pushback model is that it's rebellious. Mm-hmm. I think we need to fuel that passion of try to outperform the teacher in a fact-based, evidence-based way, not in a, again, I'm going to prove you wrong, so in, in an unbalanced relationship, mm-hmm. right, which is power and control versus, I'm here nourishing with I'm getting right. nourishment from right. you. Right. I'm giving you nourishment and today we're in an adult relationship that's productive, not dysfunctional. Well, highly way more relational, way more respectful, way more of a two, two like it's it's it, it's a two way. I mean, I think that's where my question about mentorship came from because it it does seem to me to be there's more humility there, I think. Right, for sure. Yeah. The yeah. Uh, the only thing I I find challenging with mentorship is that it it does assume that someone has an imbalance over the other person yeah sure sure uh, sure more so when i use the coach analogy in sports particularly professional sports oftentimes people who are coaches have actually played the sport and are respected for it i mean there's only a couple in the nhl right now that are non have never played the sport but are masters of the sport so you gain a certain credibility when you actually got that sure you can relate to the person because you've sort of, you know, you've got that, you know, is, is, credibility. Is project-based learning, can you sort of define it, sim- maybe you can't define it simply, but can you say it's really about um, um, discovery, exploration, uh, you know, you, your Kajanga, create, construct, build, in, a, in an environment that, that, that's hands-on? Is that a good way to describe it? Yeah, it, it is. I think I think the fundamental root of it is passion. What's mm, your passion? Nice. What are you excited about? So, so you'll recognize when I say this. So you'll be in a conversation with somebody, and it'll be relatively superficial, and then you'll push on something that resonates with them, mm-hmm. right? something that really means a lot to them. It could be anything from their child has MS, mm-hmm. and they've been the head of MS. Uh, the MS Association, they understand the affliction. It could be they're a wine um, connoisseur, mm-hmm. or they love sailing, mm-hmm. or they love boating, mm-hmm. or they love cottaging, or nice. they love to paint. I think what you need to do first, and, and Michael Chan, it's a, it's, a, it's a long time ago now when I looked at it, he had something called the passion plan. Mm. And, and what was in that is it rooted through the process of understanding what is your true passion? If you could do anything, I mean, this is a favorite question people ask, right? If you could do anything, what would you do? Yeah. Then you've got a basis of a starting point. Most people say, I'd travel the world and I'd do this. But if you, if you peel back the onion and you, you, you dig into that, well, I'd travel the world, well, why would they travel the world? Right. Right? What are you looking to achieve? Right? It, it, it then gets down to the root of what they're really excited about doing and what they want to do. And so then project-based, once you found the root of that, that seed, now you know, okay, they have a propensity to, con- to build things, right, as do architects and engineers and other people. They love to build things. And, you know, versus someone's good with numbers, but numbers can apply to anything. Maybe they would apply it to something they want to really do. So, th- so, so then you start to align um, – a project around it. Once you've established that I want to do a project, 
then you go on the journey, right? It starts with a number of building blocks relative to that project. For example, my son likes NFL football and he likes cars. I have a theory that if I had built, if the school could actually align those subjects with every topic in or every piece of his curriculum, like health, you could align it, right? Mm. What is the impact on the body? Mm. You know, when the guy's, you know, racing around the, the track, you know, what's the, you know, you could do health, you could do science, sure. you could do math, you could sure. do physics, you, you know, you could do geography, right? There's, there's Everything could be aligned to that subject. I, or that I, I love the approach. Does, doesn't the teacher's head explode at that point? Well, yes, that's the problem, right? <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. because it's, Again, you've just articulated the dilemma. Yeah. That's yeah. assuming the teacher is the center of the universe. Yes. Right? So the, what they need to do is go back to the child and say, for example, I did this with my 14-year-old. I said, <clears throat> I'd like you to build an Excel spreadsheet, and I'd like you to, to go on the Internet and research all the factors that contribute to making an NFL team. Right, right. You've got access to the information, Right. You know, uh, percentage of completions, quarterback rating, offensive linemen, the weight of the offensive line, the weight of the defensive, like what's the combined aggregate weight. I want them to just think through the process yeah, of and course. Cal- do, do calculations. Yeah, yeah. And, well, conne- and, and connect it to his passion. Connect it to his passion. Yeah, it's good. Um, so, so let's shift gears here a little bit. I mean, it's all, all connected to me, which is brilliant and wonderful, and I, I love this stuff. And um, Entrepreneurship. What 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 is it about entrepreneurs that makes them? Let's use the e eccentric or different or odd or or, or driven. There's about a dozen questions for you. I think maybe. Yeah. And, yeah, I think you know, the the thing I always you know the three th- three words I use are what makes them so powerful, mm-hmm. what makes them so destructive, and what makes them so brilliant. Mm-hmm. And and that applies to everybody. Your strength is your weakness, right? So entrepreneurs. When you look at the characteristics, and I think I shared with you, I want to do a PhD on the entrepreneurial mind because I think it's time to disprove everything about what we're we're, we're labeling these people. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. They're motivated. They're perseverant. They're uh, risk takers. They're all these things. Those criteria describe the people who actually got out the other side and did something about what they wanted to do. Their passion. They wanted to follow their passion. But if you strip that all away, everybody wants everything to do with what an entrepreneur does. They right. want to guide their, be the, the master of their own ship. They want to have success. They want to, you know, have financial freedom. There's a lot of factors that people would align that they would say, yeah, I want to be that. Sure. But I'm not a risk taker, and I'm not motivated the way entrepreneurs are, and I don't want to work 60 hours a week or 100 hours a week, or whatever it is. Whatever it is, yeah. And if I focus on just that one, I don't want to work 100 hours a week. Well, I can tell you that if you found something that they were passionate about, they'd work 500 hours a week because they'd <laughs> want to do it all the time. That's right. Right? Yeah, yeah. The problem is, is that they're not doing what they want to do. They're doing what they think they have to do or what the world has told them they should do. And I, I had this interesting discussion with a principal once about entrepreneurship, and it kind of went like this. He said, you know, I really love this entrepreneurship program because we live in a little bit of a, you know underprivileged community, and most of the people here are not going to 
you know, make anything of their life, they're going to become entrepreneurs. He literally verbalized that to mm-hmm. me. He said they're blue, blue collars. You know, they're going to be the, the plumbers and the carpenters mm-hmm. and other people who, you know, are going to need to know how to be an entrepreneur because, you know, they got to manage their money and do all that mm-hmm. stuff. They're never going to be a doctor or a lawyer or an right. engineer. Or anything. And I thought to myself, wow, right? What a, what a, what a point to make. The, the other thing that I, I almost felt like saying to him, and I know this firsthand, is our doctors should be good entrepreneurs, but they're not. Mm-hmm. Most of them mismanage their finances, don't run successful businesses, don't know how to, and make average $80,000 a year because, or less, Mm. because they don't know how to staff, run a practice, buy a building, right? And then if you you transpose that to our hospitals, right, and I have some firsthand working with hospitals, Imagine if they knew how to run a business and were you know, financially conscious. And when I say financially conscious, I'm talking about from the nurse through to the, to, the, to the people, the doctors and everybody. They would understand the mechanics of entrepreneurship. So you know, what I could take it to accountants who are pretty good at entrepreneurship because they know the numbers. But you could take it to engineering firms, architects. The ones that are successful, most of them have a good business acumen that they've already picked up or they're working on. So I believe those skills and those traits, one of the things is, is create a project around what they're going to be and then let them become entrepreneurs. So, so I think it's, there's a couple of factors and characteristics to make up an entrepreneur. But I think my theory is, is that it's the combination of certain factors when they align like a combination lock that allow the lock to open and people to walk in and be that entrepreneur, and, and, which and is And David, the are these, are, you know, in your mind, are these factors that can be worked on? That that can be that you can mentor somebody on, or that you can learn from a book or from a video or, or from the internet, or is this something? Is this a gifting? You know, it's kind well, of well, you, know, you know, that's that's going to be the up to the you know the the people to look at the brain and figure right, that out. But right. but I think one of the things that that. Uh, you know, may not be able to be learned is, is risk-taking, the propensity to be able to be okay when you're not okay, mm-hmm. to be able to put it all on the line and just roll the dice, right? Um, that combined with, you know, calculated risk-taking, I think many of the traits can be learned, right? I think the, the, the best answer I could give to that is I think we have to fuel that at a young age on how do you manage something. It's not what, it's not what you do it's how you do it how do you manage either your 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 feelings of of doubt and anxiety hmm. how do you build tools to to mitigate that mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. you know if we want to go into psychology that's what they do right they're they're coping mechanisms so i guess the quick answer is i think all of them can be managed and worked with and tools can be put in place that foster that the problem is, is that we don't fuel that at an early age. In fact, we do the opposite when you're in the school system, right? If you come in and you you want to be a, you want to go off and be your own person, that gets very quickly uh, eliminated, right? You you can't really, in in some of the traditional settings of education, you're put in a box and you're this is the box you play in, right? To keep order, right? Which is, you know, it was great when it. The school system, when it was first founded, was great at creating order mm-hmm. and creating structure. The problem is it's 
lost that. And and is uh, and, and yeah. I mean, can I can I infer that you you're going to say next that it's squashed entrepreneurship, it's squashed creativity, and so on. We have well, few we have fewer artists in the West today as a result of it. Well, look, I think most people, if you talk to them, I mean, the simple answer is yes, because mm-hmm. if you talk to people and you say to them, "What would you do if you could do anything in the world?" and they're not doing it, then isn't that sort of a sad state that people mm-hmm. aren't really doing what they want to be doing because mm-hmm. they're not passionate about, you know, working and doing and build, you know, being in something that they want to be in? Well, it's the grind, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> That's what we've 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 come to learn, right? You don't you don't sometimes you got to do things you don't like and as as true as that might be, uh you know, in in family life and community life and so on. There's a lot of untruth in it as well. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a lie, frankly, in my in my opinion. Well, and that's not to say people don't want to do that. People don't have to do what they don't want to do because I think in life you have to mechanically do certain things in order to to get out the other side. And I always tell my kids this story, right? So you wake up and you don't want to go to school, but you go to school because that's part of the process. Yep. And then you get to school and you have one of the best days you've ever had. I mean, yeah. I ask my kids this. They come home cheering because they had a great day. Wow, it's such a great day. We did this. Yeah. And I, I just remind them. I said, well, do you remember you didn't want to go? Yeah, yeah. Right. In process, in motion, things happen, mm. right? You can't turn the corner if it's you're nice. not driving the bike. So you got to go. Right. No, the idea, the idea of, of, of what changes along the way, I mean, I, I continue to talk about this. Uh, on, on, I, I just It's been a theme for the last, I don't know, seven or eight interviews I've done, but this idea of, of Kierkegaard's idea that you, you, know, you only live your life uh, by moving into it and, and understand it by looking back. And I think that is, is sim- you know, beautifully put about this idea of being in motion. Things, things change, and you're only going to get sense for it as you, you know, Got to get out of bed. Got to have the shower. Got to go to school. And look how many times you've proven that idea sort of wrong, right? And it's uh, yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's a beautiful uh, existential and philosophical approach to something as uh, um, um, almost almost um, what's the word I'm looking for uh, dry as project based learning. Yeah, and I'm not talking about a free for all. I'm talking <laughs> right, because right. because when I when I talk about entrepreneurship and I've done a lot of work in entrepreneurship, one of the things that I try to get entrepreneurs to do when I'm working with them is to focus, to mm, verticalize, mm, right? Create a focus, mm, verticalize right. focus. And now we're living it with the architectural piece. But but stay focused on a vertical. Don't get too scattered, right? right. Some of the things that that entrepreneurs have developed, which is a, is one of the bad traits that I think entrepreneurs have developed, is that they always chase the shiny penny. And that's because they've never they've never been allowed to follow that shot one penny through to right, the end right. because people are trying to always throw bullets at them, right? That's to right. Get them off and, and, you know, throw curveballs at that's them. That's good. So, yeah, so that's kind of, I mean, I think being focused on, uh, from, from an entrepreneurial perspective, but being passionate about that focus and aligning that to that. So, so do you have a chart? <laughs> do you have some writing on this of, of these traits? that the entrepreneur has that, that you, yeah, are, you know, I haven't you... got there yet. Mm. I think, you know, there's been a number of, you know, I worked with a really great thought leader and a number of thought leaders in education. And, uh, you know, they, there's some theories about, you know, web-based learning and, and mobile learning and, and, you know, virtual learning, which, you know, throws another dimension to it. Right. But, um, 
so there's some some maps about how that works. I mean, Kajenga is kind of a living laboratory of what we're trying mm. to create here. Mm. So how do we influence design when the power brokers in the architectural space or the design space have been in the design world for a long time and they've built credibility to the point where um, they know what they want, they've established their style like in that, a great artist, and how do you shift that thinking when there's been somewhat of a, I won't call it a complacency, but there's a comfort mm-hmm. in knowing certain materials and certain ways of doing things. And so what we're trying to do is influence and shift that, right? I mean, there's a there's quite a shift in sort of the design world around, you know, green construction, green roofs, six-story right. wood, you know, uh, really cool glass and structures that you know, our healthy buildings and, and right. you know, uh, Technion's doing a lot of work with respect to uh, how you, the impact of a building on the efficiency and effectiveness mm. of a worker right. and the productivity metric. So that's kind of cool. But, um, yeah, so so I don't have any charts, but what I've done is we've created in Kajenga a model that I hope is a living, breathing example of how we're, we're shifting people's uh, thinking around design and architecture by tapping into their projects, so showcasing their work, Mm -hmm. and then slowly showing them how innovation and architecture is evolving. So become a storybook, an essay of of architectural design such that people will see the laboratory working in this vertical and and say, hmm, how can that inform other educational models? What's kind of cool to me is it sort of brings it back to that whole passionate space that you were talking about earlier. So, you know, it's I would imagine architects, engineers, accountants, all of us kind of get caught in this, uh, you know, comfort zone, and we work in a particular way, and we get it done from 9 to 5 and so on. But it sounds like Kajenga, to me, is kind of presenting this approach, this way of looking at the world and a new way of looking at the world through a passionate lens because you're – not only are you showcasing the work, but you're doing it in such, from what little I've seen, in such a um, hmm, beautiful, brilliant kind of uh, artful way. Yeah, I think it's it's we're finding ways to engage with people, right? It's very hard to influence and educate someone unless you engage them. Hmm. And engagement comes from aligning our our segments around. Um, their projects and other like-minded projects or similar projects to inform thinking, right? To inform, to inform them. I mean, video uh, is is now becoming the next big wave of how people are learning. Right. right, right. I mean, a picture's worth a thousand words. Video's worth one point eight million. And I have some theories which maybe we could touch on in another uh, sure, podcast sure. to do with you know, where is content going and how are we going to create video books in a way that is structured that people can get little snippets of what they want, go back to it and flip-flop back and forth between the textbook. But the videos are a quick way for people to get a quick snapshot, right? Speed reading, if you will. Yeah, sure. And then the project-based element of it and the journey becomes, hey, wait a second. I'm working on a couple of hospitals or I'm working right. on performing arts centers. I'd like to draw, dig into that. Sure. Right. Yep. So if we talk about social media um, and talk about it from a visioning perspective, 
all of us have experienced going on Google and then finding out that, wow, I looked at, you know, traveling to Hawaii, and for the next six months I got Hawaii advertisements all in my Google searches, right? So they're doing a good good job listening and watching what you're doing. Sure, yep. But really it's finding, aligning your passions to provide you with content and learning that is contextual and relevant to you. That's yeah, really. Yeah. I would imagine, uh, I don't want to get sidetracked, I have another question for you about, about the, the, the creation and the construction in the building, but I would imagine one of the challenges would be to you know, keep viewers focused and, enga and engaged. I would imagine that's a challenge with the media itself. Uh, I would think, but I, you know, I mean, uh, it's it's almost it's almost what is it? You know, when people talk about TV, well, it's too early to tell really how that's gonna <laughs> how that's gonna actually affect us, you know, uh, culturally and and so on. Why Swahili? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> that's the the simple answer is uh, the staff went away and looked at some different things. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not even spelt that way. We we did okay. a, a play on it, yeah, so we, okay. we you know we we put sort of a Scandinavian um, spin to it and came up with the double A's with the dots on top. Um, you know, you want something that's going to be catchy, sure, and yep. you want something that's going to be, you know. Um, easily branded and, right. and so you know uh, create construct and build um you know it was a hidden thing that we're talking about the architects it's a good story for the architects but it's not going to limit us as we move to other verticals and use the platform to influence uh, other folks in the world um related to hundreds of different topics and and passions so well, listen, David, thanks a lot for your time today. I really appreciate it. Uh, da David Milia, President and CEO of Kajenga uh, Incorporated. And uh, I think I think clearly we've we've got to have a part two at some point down the road, but we've certainly c covered a lot of ground and, and pretty interesting stuff. So th thanks again for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.